Well, good morning and welcome to Genesis. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Jerry and I'm the campus pastor here at our Carmel campus. And we're really glad to have you with us, as Steve said, and we'd love to get to meet you after service. Today, we want you to know we're starting into a brand new series called The Valley. And as you may have guessed from that video, it's gonna feel a little heavy because we're gonna be talking about those times in life that don't go the way that we plan. In fact, we're gonna be talking about the times of life where life takes us to places where we never ever plan to go, places where we don't wanna stay. And while we're there, it just feels like a dark and desolate and scary valley. And while we're there, we, we are gonna experience some combination of unbearable grief, prolonged mourning, unnerving anxiety, nagging depression, and even an overwhelming sense of hopelessness. And I'm gonna guess if we went around the room, we could probably share story after story of times that we've been there, or maybe some of us would say, oh my goodness, I am there right now. And I don't know how, I'm, how long I'm gonna be here. I don't know how to get out of this place. My wife, Casey, and I have some very good friends that are in the valley right now. On Thanksgiving morning, while the rest of us were waking up to go and get ready to be with family, our friend Kelly woke up to the reality that her husband stepped out of bed and died unexpectedly, leaving her to be a single mom with two middle school-aged children. And we were one of the first people that they called, and, and we were just heartbroken for them. I remember when our family found out, we, we cried together and prayed for them. And we were heartbroken because we knew they're in the valley. They didn't plan to be there. They didn't want to be there. And they have no idea how long they're gonna be there. They just know that their life got blown up on that day. And I'm sure all of us would agree that it's hard to hear stories like that about other people, isn't it? I mean, you, I watched some of you cringe when I, when I just told that story. But here's the truth. That doesn't always happen to other people, does it? Sometimes it happens to us, in fact, you could argue that it's guaranteed to happen to every single one of us. And I know my wife, Casey, and I, we've been together for almost 20 years, and, and we've been to the valley a time or two ourselves, and we know that we're going to be there again in the future. Before our oldest son, Jude, was born, we went through a prolonged season of infertility. We experienced the pain of a miscarriage, and I'll never forget watching my wife hurt so bad, and we were asking questions like, God, why, why is this happening to us? How long is this going to last? I mean, is this ever going to end? And it just felt hopeless. And I know that some of you can relate to a story like that. A couple years ago, uh, my mother-in-law passed away after a long battle with cancer. And I want you to know something about my mother-in-law. She was the sweetest person you would ever meet. Loved God with all of her heart, served Jesus faithfully. And it made it really, really hard to grieve her before she was ever gone. And it was so, so, so painful. And for our family, we, we felt un, this unexplainable sense of loss, grief, pain, confusion, and there was even anger. And I know some of your stories, and I know that some of you have been there or, or you're there right now. And, and while we were there, we just asked, God, why her? And why does this hurt so bad? I mean, is the pain of this loss, is it ever gonna go away? And if you've ever been there before, you know, like right about the time you think you're out, something happens and all of a sudden you're right back to where you started. A few years ago, I found myself battling with depression for the very first time. And I didn't know what was going on with me. I just knew that something wasn't right. I felt trapped. I was sad. Life was overwhelming. I knew I needed help, but I didn't wanna ask for help. I didn't know how to tell you how I felt. And again, I, I'm sure if we went around the room, some of us would say, oh, I've been there before. Or, or again, maybe you're there right now. 
And maybe for some of us, the valley season is associated with the pain of a shattered relationship or a broken family, or maybe it's the fact that you don't have a family yet and you just thought for sure that you would. Some of us have lost loved ones tragically or unexpectedly, while others have been abused by someone that we've trusted and we just have to live in that, with, in that reality with those reminders on a regular basis. Maybe for some of us, it's a career that's crashed and burned. It's a financial nightmare that took us to the brink of absolute loss and destruction. Maybe it's the devastating effects of an addiction for you or for someone that you love. It's an ongoing health issue or it's an ominous diagnosis that you received. Maybe for some of us though, maybe it's just the simple fact that knowing that now that the hustle and bustle of the holidays is over and we enter into this long gray season called winter in central Indiana, you just know that there's a sense of sadness and depression that that sets in and you're not looking for it. In fact, you can already feel it knocking on the door. One thing's for sure, there's a million roads that lead to this valley, right? There's a million ways to get there, but while we're there, we're guaranteed to experience emptiness while we long for fulfillment. We desire peace when we're there, but all we feel is a terrifying fear. There's loss when we're looking for hope. There's abandonment when we crave acceptance. There's uncertainty when all we really want is security. And there's death where there should be life. And so for the next several weeks, what we wanna do is to acknowledge these seasons for what they are because they are real. The pain is real. The grief is real. The loss, it's all real. But we have a really simple goal as we acknowledge this this reality. And our goal is this, we want to discover, or maybe for some of us to rediscover, eternal hope in knowing that we don't ever go through these seasons alone. Eternal hope in knowing that none of us go through any of these seasons alone. And when I say that, some of you might think like, eternal hope, is that a real thing, Jerry? Is that a thing? Because it sounds as real as a unicorn to me. When you're in a valley season like that, you're thinking there's just no such thing. Not only is there not eternal hope, there's just no hope, period. Well, as crazy as it sounds, we believe that eternal hope is real. And for the next few weeks, we're gonna be working our way through a very specific chapter of scripture found in the Old Testament. It not only addresses the reality of these valley seasons, but it also talks about real and tangible, even eternal hope that can carry us through any and every season we face now or will face in the future. Specifically, we're gonna be looking at the 23rd chapter of the book of Psalms. And in its entirety, Psalm 23 is broken down into six verses. It contains a little over 100 words. So it's not really that long. In fact, I timed myself reading it out loud recently and it only took me 37 seconds from beginning to end. And I'm a pretty slow reader. So it's not like there's a lot of words there But here's what's crazy. These 100-ish words were written down 3,000 years ago. They're ancient. That was 1,000 years before Jesus ever walked the earth as a man. Someone penned these words. But here's what's really crazy. Over the last 3,000 years, these 100-ish words have become some of the most familiar, if not the most frequently quoted passage of Scripture in all of the Old and New Testament alike because they talk about the reality of the valley, but they also bring comfort and hope during these times. If you've ever been to a funeral, there's a chance that you've heard Psalm 23 read from beginning to end. In fact, you probably know some of the verses in Psalm 23 
by heart. If I started them, you could finish them. But I wanna take you to one real quick, Psalm 23, four, that gives us our theme for this series. It simply says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. That probably sounds familiar to you, doesn't it? And in some weird way, we should be encouraged by these words because when the author wrote them down 3,000 years ago, he acknowledged the reality that there are valley seasons in life. In fact, he acknowledged not only is it a valley, what does he call it? The valley of the shadow of death. How's that for setting the tone? And so as we dive in this morning, I wanna take a moment. I'm just gonna read Psalm 23 in its entirety from beginning to end. And I want you to think about where you are now or places that you've been or maybe something you can see coming on the horizon. I just wanna read this out loud for you. And I want you to let these words kind of wash over you and to think about where eternal hope might be found within these words. Psalm 23 starts like this. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these words, these ancient words that were written down 3,000 years ago. We thank you that they were captured, that they've been protected, that they have been passed on generation after generation after generation after generation. Holy Spirit, we pray that today and for these next several weeks, as we look at this ancient text, I just, I pray that you would open up the eyes and ears of our heart to see and to hear these words the way that you would intend us to. They give us hope in a life where, where hope is, seems to be at a premium. Holy Spirit, would you do what only you could do? Would you teach us? Would you lead us? Would you guide us? Jesus, we ask all of this in the power of your name. Amen. So for the next couple of weeks, we're just gonna go through Psalm 23, one verse at a time. And today we're gonna hang out in Psalm 23, one. And I just want you to look at how Psalm 23, one starts. It just starts like this. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, for what it's worth, Hebrew tradition teaches us that Psalm 23 was written by a man who's simply known as David. And just in case you're not familiar with who this David guy is, he is believed to be the greatest king in all of the Old Testament. But here's what you really need to know about today, David for today. Before David was ever a powerful, mighty king with a vast and ever-expanding kingdom, before any of that, he got his start as a lowly, overlooked an unknown shepherd who was tasked with watching a flock of sheep in the Judean wilderness. And so when David penned these words, the Lord is my shepherd, he was writing them from the perspective of a shepherd. He was taking his job and saying, God, you're kind of like, like this. It's also interesting to note though that in the ancient Near East, kings were often portrayed as shepherds of their kingdom. So this is an analogy that the people of Israel would have been familiar with throughout the Old Testament. But there's one other fascinating theme about shepherding that's found in the Old Testament that I think it's important for us to know, and it's simply this. All throughout the Old Testament, God is described as being the shepherd of his people. Think about that. God 
The creator of the universe is described as being the shepherd of his people. This theme is repeated time and time again throughout the Psalms, but maybe the clearest picture of this that we can find in scripture is in Isaiah 40, verse 11, that says this, he, God, tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. So when you read that, you can see this image, can't you? Of a shepherd caring for his flock. And, and Isaiah says, that's how God loves us. And so as we look at David's words, the Lord is my shepherd, we, all get, we get a sense that the overall theme of this psalm is God's loving and watchful care over his people as a whole. But there's something really important that we need to know about the words that David chose to use here. The English word Lord, when we say the Lord is my shepherd, that English word comes from the Hebrew word Yahweh. And Yahweh is the personal name for God. It's used over 6,000 times throughout the Old Testament. And here's why that's so important, because David is saying Yahweh, the unchanging, uncaused God who created the heavens and the earth, his name, his personal name is, is Yahweh, and he cares for his people the way a shepherd cares for his flock. Now, some of us probably are aware of that, but can I be honest, that should blow our minds. The God of the universe, the creator of everything that there is, wants to know us in, in, in that way. But here's something else that's really important to pay attention to the way that David uses these words. This, this phrase, God is our shepherd, is meant to be like a communal thing, right? It's understood that he shepherds us communally, as a community. But David is highlighting the fact, he takes this analogy one step further, and he says that God has a desire to know each and every one of us at a very intense, personal level. In fact, look back at the words that he uses in Psalm 23.1. The Lord Yahweh is my shepherd. He could have said, maybe he should have said, the Lord is our shepherd. That's the way everybody understood it. He's, God shepherds all of us together, but David takes this communal analogy and he makes it really, really personal. And I wanna take a moment for us to stop and think about this. What does that mean for us today? The Lord Yahweh is my shepherd. As of last month, the world population was estimated to be currently at 7.7 billion people. That's just people that are alive right now. That is, doesn't include everybody that's ever gonna live. And that, that number, 7.7, is estimated to reach 8 billion by the year 2024. Now, can you picture what 8 billion of something looks like? I Googled, what does 8 billion of something look like? And the only thing that kept coming up over and over again is this number. It couldn't even like quantify it for me, 8 billion. I also learned in my, in my studies, in my research, that's the same as 8,000 million. 8,000 million. I don't know if that is more or less confusing when it comes to wrapping our mind around this, but here's, here's my point. If David's theology is good, and if his math is right, he's saying that God desires to shepherd all 8 billion, all 8,000 million of us that are alive right now, not just communally, but personally and individually. And that led David to write these words, the Lord Yahweh is my shepherd. Now, I'm gonna guess that you're like me, and at some point, you've probably sat down to write a note or type an email or type something out to someone, and you wanted to choose just the right words, right? You probably labored over your words. You wanted to make sure that when they read it, that they got the gist of what you were saying. My daughter, Kate, is in kindergarten this year. She's learning to read and write. It's been so fun. To, it's actually 
kind of cool and sad that our youngest is, is at that point. But recently, she was writing a thank you letter to her cousins for a gift that she received. And she said, Daddy, can you help me spell some of these words? And she grabbed a pen and some paper. And she said, how did you spell whatever? And I would spell it out and she would write it down. But a couple of times she would write a word down and she was like, I don't like that word. And she'd just scribble it out and move on to the next word. And the final product was like this scribbled mess, right? It looked like a mess, except if you're her dad, you look at it and you think, oh, wow, that's like a labor of love. I watched you sweat over every one of those words. She chose just the right word. And it got me thinking, I wonder if, if that's kind of the writing process that David went through when he was writing this psalm. I wonder if he started off and wrote, God is our shepherd. That's true. That's right. That's good. God is our shepherd. Man, that's good. People are going to memorize that for thousands of years to come. God is our shepherd. But it's missing something. What's it missing? God. Well, God's personal. His personal name's Yahweh. You know what? I'm going to scribble out the word God, and I'm going to write Yahweh, because he's personal. Yahweh is our Shepherd. Oh, that's so good. People are definitely going to memorize this. Yahweh's our shepherd. It's not, it's, not, it's not it yet, though. I mean, Yahweh's created everything. He knows everything about everybody. He's created every one of us. He knows us all individually. He knows me. And then I just can't help but wonder if he scribbled the whole thing out and just wrote, Yahweh is my shepherd. And then he thought, man, that's so good. People are gonna have that read at their funerals for the rest of eternity. Yahweh's my shepherd. We skip right over those verses, but think about, the, think about what David's communicating there. He's communicating a really simple and yet profound idea that God is personal and he loves each one of us on a personal level. Think about that. He's personal. And maybe you know this, but maybe you need to refamiliarize yourself with it. He's personal. He cares about everything going on in your life right now, everything going on in my life, the day-to-day -day struggles that we have, he knows when we're in the valley. Now, with that in mind, let's ask this question. Well, then what would it mean for Yahweh, for God? What does it mean to be our shepherd? And my guess is we all probably have a picture of what a shepherd looks like and what a shepherd does, right? We probably have a mental image, but there's something that's really important for us to know. In ancient Israel, shepherding was an intimate occupation meaning that one shepherd would typically tend the same flock of sheep for several years. And during that time with his sheep, a shepherd would talk and he would sing to his sheep with a very specific purpose in mind. He wanted his sheep to get familiar with his voice so he could call them and they would follow after him. But not only that, he would name each one of his sheep. Now, can you imagine naming an entire flock of sheep. I asked my kids about this, and we agreed that after Fluffy and Fluffy Jr., it's going to get pretty hard to name a bunch of sheep, right? But shepherds, they would sing to, and they would talk to. They wanted their sheep. Their sheep would respond to their voice. They would name them. But here's another fascinating fact that, that this just blows my mind. Shepherds in Israel are the only shepherds in the entire world that lead their flock that way. They can walk out ahead of their flock and talk to them, and the sheep come behind them. Everywhere else in the world, they use sheepdogs and sticks to drive them from behind. But in Israel, they walk out in front and they call them and they come to them. Now, if you're a parent, that should amaze you because I don't know about you, if you've ever taken your kids to a store and you walk out in front of them and you trust that they're gonna hear your voice, do they, do they follow you? Mine don't, they scatter, right? My sheep don't listen very well, which has me wondering, like, what kind of a shepherd must God be that we would know his voice and be able to follow him? Which brings me to the next point. Maybe we should know something about sheep, in his book, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, 
Philip Keller describes sheep as being the most helpless creatures in all of the animal kingdom. He explains that they have limited intelligence. They're pitifully uncreative when it comes to looking for food. They're creatures of habit. They will follow the same paths over and over and over again to barren wastelands, and they will completely ignore lush grazing pastures nearby just because they're used to what they're used to. Not only that, they're notorious for being apathetic wonders. They've even been reported to walk into an open fire, which if you're made of wool, that's just not a good decision, right? You're gonna burn up pretty quick. Now, does anybody here feel good about being described or thought of as a sheep? Doesn't feel very good, does it? But Keller goes on with his description. He says that sheep are known for being timid and stubborn. They can be frightened by the most ridiculous thing, including gently flowing water. And to top it all off, Sheep are completely defenseless. They have no defense mechanisms. There's nothing about them that's scary. I mean, think about it. They're just a pillow on legs. That's, that's what a sheep really is. Now, when you think about sheep being described that way, it's funny and it's sad all at the same time, isn't it? But let me ask you a question. Would you be willing to admit that you have more in common with sheep than you thought you did? I would. I mean, when I hear that description, I'm thinking, oh man, some of those hit really close to home. I'm going to guess that some of us, myself included, are creatures of habit, and we find ourselves gravitating back to the same places over and over again. We know they're bad for us. We know the decisions aren't good. We've got all the scars to show for it, but we're just, that's what we do. It's our habits. How many of us are unwilling to listen to helpful advice and to go back, just, just to find ourselves going back to those bad Places. How many of us live in despair over our inability to escape bad habits, poor choices, and destructive relationships on our own? We need help from other people to get out. How often have you found yourself in a complicated circumstance and, and you know, I can't see my, my way through. I, I do not, I literally don't know where I'm going and I don't know how to get where I need to go. How many of us are timid when we need to be bold? How many of us are stubborn and bullheaded and resist change even when we know it's good for us? Or worse yet, how many of us would be willing to admit we're totally defenseless and we know it, we just don't want to admit it and we don't want anybody else to know? Now, no matter where you fall on any of those spectrums, I think we would all have to admit we have a lot more in common with sheep than we would care to admit, which means that we are all in need of a shepherd that can get us from where we are, no matter where we are, no matter how long we've been there, we need a shepherd that can take us from where we are to a place of peace and safety and security especially when we know we are guaranteed to go through some really hard and difficult seasons in our life. And with that in mind, I wanna go back and look at all of, 23, uh, all of Psalm 23, one in its entirety, because David says, the Lord Yahweh is my shepherd. And then it ends like this, I lack nothing. Now I want you to repeat that last part out loud with me. The Lord is my shepherd. Say it one more time. Now, as I've read this over the last couple of weeks, I've I, I read it over and over and I thought, how can David say that? Is that a real, like, how, how, how do you say that? Some of us maybe are familiar with this, with this verse being translated as, um, I shall not want. But a more accurate way to say it is I lack nothing. And how can, how can he say that? Especially when you think about all the pressures and stresses of our life how can you say that you lack nothing when clearly there's just things in our life that, that we need? I mean, I'm gonna guess you're like me and you have financial needs that need to be met, right? In order for your family to eat and live indoors, your financial needs 
need to be met. Otherwise, you're gonna be outside without things that you desire. And we have obvious health, health needs, right? And if those things aren't, aren't met, then our body isn't gonna function properly. We're not gonna be healthy people. We have relational and emotional needs that need to be met so we can function on a social level. And those are just the ones that we would all agree to. What about the needs that you have that you don't want anyone to know about? Or the needs that I have that I would never, ever, ever want to admit? How could David say, I lack nothing? I think it's a legitimate question. And the reality is that is the question that we're gonna be wrestling with over the next couple of weeks as we go through Psalm 23, one verse at a time. I lack nothing. Well, how can that be? And then look at what David says. He makes a case in the following verses that when Yahweh is our shepherd, we, we really do have everything that we need. He says that the shepherd leads us where we need to go and he promises to refresh our soul along the way. He protects us when attackers come. He comforts, he comforts us when we need it the most. He even offers us an opportunity to live with him in security beyond this life. And those are all some pretty bold claims that need to be backed up. Well, for what it's worth, I think it's interesting to note that Jesus also talked about how personal Yahweh was, and he tied that specifically to shepherding. <clears throat> In the Gospel of John, a man named John, who was one of Jesus's best friends on the earth, records a conversation that Jesus was having with some spiritual leaders of the day. And these spiritual leaders would have been seen as shepherds for the people. And while they're talking to Jesus, a conversation breaks out on what it looks like to lead people. And Jesus takes the conversation and he turns it, of all things, to shepherding. And listen to what Jesus says. He says, well, you know, like a good shepherd calls sheep by their name. And a good shepherd goes ahead of his sheep and the sheep follow because they know his voice. Like, doesn't that sound familiar? That's all those things that we learned about with sheep. Jesus knew that. He's pointing that out. But then he goes on and drops a theological bombshell. He makes a very bold claim on two different occasions. In John 10, 11, he says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And then he says it again, just a few verses later in verses 14 and 15, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. The father, God knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for my sheep. Now, in light of our conversation this morning about Psalm 23, it's safe to say, Jesus is making a very bold claim because David said the Lord Yahweh, the uncreated creator, the unchanging God is my shepherd. And Jesus says, yeah, 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 I know. I'm the good shepherd. So is Jesus, is he uninformed? Does he have bad theology? Is he being arrogant or sarcastic? Is he out of touch? Well, it's a bold claim, but on both occasions he says, just so you know, I'm the good shepherd and I will lay down my life for my sheep. And just in case you're not familiar with Jesus's story, all of the writers of the New Testament say that's exactly who he is and what he's done. John tells us, and Paul says this too, that Jesus is eternal. He's always existed. Everything was created by him, through him, and for him. He's always existed, but at some point he left the comforts of eternity. He entered into our world. He was born as a baby to peasant parents and he grew up in a pretty hard life, meaning that when Jesus walked the earth as a boy and as a man, he experienced several valley seasons in his life, including his own death. 
So then later in his life, when Jesus would lay his life down, we learn that there was something really important that was different about Jesus than, than us. And that's that all, throughout all his years of life, he never rebelled against God. He never sinned against God. So when he laid his life down, he was shedding his blood to pay for our mistakes. But when he died, he didn't just stay dead. He rose three days later to prove. Now think about this. He was proving that he was Yahweh in the flesh. He was proving that he was the good shepherd who cares for his sheep and could offer them eternal life. And by the way, eternal life was something that David was very interested in 3,000 years ago. Listen to how David ends Psalm 23, 6. He says this, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He says, If Yahweh's my shepherd, I have the hope of living in eternity. David's making the point that even though that these scary seasons are sure to come, if the Lord is your shepherd, you won't lack for anything because he's able to provide for everything that you need, including life after this life. And here's what we would want you to know. Here at Genesis, this, is, this sounds really crazy to say, but here at Genesis, we believe that Jesus is the good shepherd that David was writing about and hoping in. And so as we wrap up today, I just, I just have a couple of simple questions that I want you to think about. Do you trust Jesus to be your good shepherd? If you're following Jesus, do you really trust him to be your good shepherd? Do you trust that he will lead you through any and every season of life, no matter how long it might be, no matter how dark and scary it might be? Because at the end of the day, Jesus claimed that he could do for us something that we couldn't do for ourselves. And he offers us something that we all want that we can't get on our own. Do you trust Jesus as your shepherd? And, and if not, here's another question. Well, who do you trust to shepherd you? Because even the great and mighty David trusted Yahweh as his personal shepherd. Here's what's interesting to me about Psalm 23. Many scholars believe that David wrote it at the end of his life. He was looking back over his whole life. And, and as he's writing, he's just saying, well, the Lord is my shepherd. I like nothing. And he goes on to talk about how throughout his life, God had provided for all these things. And David trusted that when he left this earth, he would go to be with God because he trusted him as his shepherd. Do you have a shepherd that you are trusting like that? Are you just gonna go and try to go through life all by yourself? Because I'm gonna be honest with you, I've tried that before and it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. There is no hope in that. You're gonna bang your head on the wall. You're gonna be frustrated. You're gonna be mad. But if we can get to this place where we can say, Jesus, you're my shepherd. You, you understand, you know me. And because of that, I, I lack nothing. And he would want that to be true for every one of us. He's just waiting for us to respond to him. Let's pray. Jesus, I trust in those words. I trust when you say you're the good shepherd, I trust you. And I believe that David, when he talked about Yahweh being his shepherd, I believe he was looking forward to you. And Jesus, even though I've never seen you with my eyes, I believe, I believe that you're there. I have seen you, I have sensed you, I have felt you. But sometimes I would admit, I walk with my head down, I walk with my eyes closed, and I wanna push you out, and I wanna try to do it all on my own, we all do. Would you forgive us? Would you help us to lean into this reality? You 
know us intimately. You want us to know you in the same way you wanna lead us and you wanna guide us through any and every season of life. Jesus, we love you. Help us to lean in to you. It's in your powerful name that we pray.